0: Now, can we come talk
1: about Ukraine? So you decide that in your... How old were you when you went to you, to live in Ukraine?
0: Oh, gosh, I would have been uh, early 20s, I think. So you decide yeah. you're going to go live
1: in Ukraine. You're going to go work in Ukraine. You, I, I read somewhere you got your nose broken a few times. Uh, yeah. And you decide that you're going to learn how to speak Russian.
0: And you meet this
1: gorgeous <laughs> Ukrainian
0: yeah that's right um and it, she wasn't my tutor but uh, I I did meet my wife uh, while living there um lucas oh, Boys, I, I, I i'm no no, no. She she's a friend of my my tutor and we actually met in in the supermarket but uh long story short um I was fascinated by the fall of communism, you know, how, you know what happened to all those communists who were, you know, pulling people off into gulags and, you know, pressing the people and how do you just change from that system to capitalism overnight? Um, so that was kind of always in the back of my mind, the, the curiosity and uh, after, uh, uh, after a community car business I worked for had failed, I wanted to take some time off and learn a language and that was uh, a great sort of... Learning language and understanding what happened, um, you know, during the fall of the Soviet Union was a, was a great crossover. So I uh, went there for a short period, three months, four months, and then, you know, bought a bar and tried to start a wireless ISP and did a whole bunch of, uh, you know, crazy things on reflection not long after post-Soviet Union falls. So it, was, it was a rough environment. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that's, so that's kind of the Ukraine connection. And now that I've seen, you know, what was happening over there, I wanted to do something to help. And we um, bought and delivered two ambulances, one from my wife, one from me. Uh, to people who knew over there who needed them, you know, to, to, to save the, the wounded and the like. And once I got over there and delivered them, I just saw how much need there was, um, you know, and how something like $15,000 secondhand ambulance uh, could save, you know, multiple lives a week. Uh, and when you put that into... I always go back to business, right? It's just how, how I'm wired. But you put it into an ROI, you know, if that thing lasts for a year and you can save 50 to 100, 150 lives... Um, Fifteen thousand dollars is just is nothing compared to the the return on investment you get from that. So, yeah, from there we started customizing the vehicles, um, getting the cost down, building um, exactly what they need rather than big city ambulances that struggle off road. You know, we've actually customized um, ambulances and um, into sorry, customized four wheel drives into stretcher carrying ambulances so they can get off where the wounded are, which is often kilometers away from the from the um, the roads. Uh, and we have now delivered I think sort of forty six or forty eight. Um, vehicles uh, into Ukraine across uh, five trips. So every time I go there, I, I have to keep coming back because I meet people who have the need and who are fighting for the right reasons. You know, it's it's freedom um, and it's unjust and all of those things. And we now have a cultural goal for all of our volunteers and everyone, which is our North, North Star, is to bring more soldiers home to their families. That's uh, That's what aligns everyone. And, you know, it's quite ironic that you see We've seen lots of groups in different countries have done similar things and doing aid and they have all all these political fallouts and, you know, they end up shutting up or splintering and going off in different directions. Uh, And myself and probably about 10 or 11 different volunteers and people who work on the sidelines and and the like, uh, you know, still pointed solely in the right direction. We never have like a, a, a big sort of dispute or anything that gets out of control. We just keep coming back to, you know, so my focus doesn't make the boat go faster. We keep coming back to you know, does it bring more soldiers, you know, home to their uh, to their families?
1: One of the most impressive things I found about you, and, um, and I have extolled this at a dinner party I was at the other night, was that you personally go and deliver the ambulances, which I found remarkable. How many trips have you made since the war started to Ukraine?
0: Yeah, we've done five trips. We've got the sixth one coming up, um, and to put it, I suppose, in a little bit of perspective, we've done... Uh, just over twenty thousand kilometers uh, driving around Ukraine. Uh, well, I, you know, that's what I've driven, and each of the guys have driven. And then if you put that up on, in the total of um, all of the vehicles that have been delivered with all of the teams on those trips, I think it's something like ten. We've done the kilometers to drive ten times around the world you know, delivering all the vehicles. Um, it's, a, it's like a it's a phenomenal sort of number. Uh, and yeah, we 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 go and deliver them because. Uh, again, like like any business, you know, not that I say technically this is a business, but we we wouldn't have found out that medics were carrying wounded two kilometres on average on stretchers back to the ambulance because people never get wounded on the road. They get wounded two kilometres off the road or more. Um, and so you've got a medic carrying, two medics carrying a heavy soldier who's wounded two kilometres, uh, which can take, you know, hours, I'm guessing, and you know the, the U.S. Army stat is—it's um, called the Golden Hour. Uh, if you receive treatment within the first hour, uh, you're uh, 50%. Well, you're 100% more likely to um, to survive. And so we saw this problem, and we wouldn't have seen that problem if we didn't go there. Uh, we wouldn't have evolved what we were doing. We wouldn't have got the support now to the units that are at the front lines who need it the most. You know, again, aid is great, but getting the aid to the people who need it the most is just as important as the A, you know, if not more more so. Uh, So, you know, I think it's a responsibility, people who've given me money, we wanna make sure that we hand the keys always over to the medic who's gonna drive that, or the medical team that's gonna drive that uh, ambulance, not to some commander, not to some logistics guy, you know, at the border, we drive there, we give it to them, we hear the feedback, um, and we we plan for how we can help them more. So, yeah, I think it's just like a business, you know, it's constant product evolution, in the same way, you know, when talking about focus, I said the best way, uh, you know, to be a good CEO is to have done all of the tasks that everyone has to do in the organization. You know, you sweep the data centers, you do the billing run, um, you know, you go on sales calls. Uh, in the same way, you know, I think if, you, if you're going to deliver aid to Ukraine, you've got to, you've got to understand it, you've got to do it. Um, and that's how you get good solutions.
1: How do you get the, physically get the ambulance to Ukraine?
0: Uh, so we buy the cars in, so we now convert cars, as I said. So we buy the four-wheel drives, pathfinders. You know, we're doing Toyota Tarragos now. Uh, we buy them in Germany, Czech Republic, Poland. Uh, we put mud tyres on them, raise the suspension, put a custom stretcher system in them, uh, paint them camouflage green, all in Poland. We've got a couple of workshops we work with that almost do the labour for free, basically. Uh, and then we drive them from the Polish border. We cross into Ukraine, and then we do typically around two two and 2,500, uh, kilometers to uh, where we deliver them at the front lines uh, and then take a train back or drive one of the cars back and, and hand it off somewhere else um so it's yeah it's a, uh, it's a long process from building a car but um we've we've gotten pretty efficient in it in i think 60 months we've done that we've delivered 40 something vehicles so you know we're almost doing one one a week now
1: and does the australian government give you any help
0: uh no help no no I made the mistake of actually telling the Australian government I was going into Ukraine in the war zone, uh, <laughs> and then for the next three times I flew out, I was searched on my way out and searched on my way back. <laughs> so I thought, well, that was probably a mistake. On on reflection, uh, what are they looking I don't know for why.
1: They,
0: I don't know that. they didn't know. They just said, oh, you've been flagged as uh, as a high risk uh, person. Uh, we we have to search all your your bags, uh, give us all your devices, your passwords, all of that sort of stuff. So uh, yeah, that was kind of a, a, a disappointment, but. Uh, yeah, no, we haven't had any assistance from the government.
1: And you, you have, you've been honoured by the Ukrainian government for this.
0: Uh yeah, actually, well, um, uh, it's incredible honour. It's amazing how, you know, people are in the middle of a war. You know, you don't expect that they actually think about, you know, what you're doing and. Um, you know, a number of times they, you know, got, soldiers will give you anything they've got—a a signed flag, which is amazing. You know, there's sign a flag, the uh, Ukrainian flag, and give it to you, or their unit's flag, or they'll give you something. Um, you know, I got a beautiful mortar case. You know, where they store the mortar, uh, you know, bomb, and they have these artists. Obviously, you've you know joined the the war, and one of them. Hand paints these with um, beautiful sort of Ukrainian kind of murals and pictures on it. So you know, soldiers give you that kind of thing, and then I was very lucky to receive a medal from uh, one of the uh, the the administration uh, over there for um, uh, you know for all the work that we've done. So uh, yeah, it was a a true honour.
1: And Zelensky, you haven't met him yet.
0: No, I haven't met him yet. I think he's probably got more important people to meet than me. (laughs) You know, uh, people who give him things to uh, to beat up Russia are far more important.
1: At this last summit that everyone was at, I was listening to this very interesting story. Um, Our prime minister was there and he expected quite a big gathering, and there was a sort of noise coming from somewhere else, and everyone was sort of rushing there. Apparently, Zelensky had just arrived, which took off some (laughs) of the glow, some of the shine of his his, uh, presentation, whatever his speech.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons that, that I was brave enough the first time, you know, to convince myself that I could I could go there was seeing how brave Zelensky was. And you know, I think it was in the first weeks of the conflict. And um, I saw actually, you know, probably a few, well, maybe only six weeks after Russians had left uh, Kiev, um, I saw how close the Russians were. You know, we were actually on the bridge that, that was where they turned around, you know, and everything was destroyed around there and there were tanks, you know, on the sides of the road. And we drove up to this bridge and had to go on a makeshift bridge, uh, you know, uh, under the bridge. Uh, And that was exactly the point the Russians got to and then they all turned around and and left. And from that point, you could actually see the buildings of downtown Kyiv. Like that was how close they were. Uh, It may have been 20 kilometers um, down that that stretch of freeway. Um, So that's how close they were. And at that point, Zelensky was in the middle of Kyiv recording a video, many people may have seen it. Uh, where he's got all of his ministers behind him, or the major ones. They're holding up a phone with the time of day, you know, and Russians were spreading this rumour that Zelensky fled. Uh, and he's out in the middle of here in the nighttime, you know, recognisable buildings behind him going, I'm here. Your Minister of Defence is here. You know, the, everyone is here. We're not going anywhere. We're going to fight. Um, I mean, you get goosebumps, you know, whenever I recount that. Um, and I just thought, what a you know, what a leader, uh, what an inspiration. And I thought, well, if he can stand, you know, the, the guy that a couple hundred thousand people are trying to kill twenty kilometers away can stand out and, and record that video, um, yeah, you know, I can I can deliver a couple of ambulances. And
1: do you think that there's a solution to this war that's going to end any, uh, anytime in? Look, and I always think things in my lifetime that the Russians are going to give up.
0: Yeah, I think it's um, you've got to reverse engineer it and say, well. You know what do what do ukrainians want to do because i think that's zelensky will only do whatever the ukrainians want to do um he's not gonna he's not gonna give up land for peace if that's what they don't you know they don't want to do that so you know the thing that i've noticed about going over there every three months or so um you know it's quite an interesting sort of microcosm of time you can see the changes really well when changes happen every day you don't notice them when you see them every three months and uh, amazingly you know with have all of the stuff that Russia's throwing, at them, you know, bombing electrical infrastructure, bombing residential areas, you know, blowing up schools, sh- you know, supermarkets—all of that stuff—the um, resolve to keep fighting has only grown, um, you know, in the public uh, since those first days. You know, when I was over there the first time. There was sort of people saying, "Well, you know, maybe it's better if we if we trade some land for peace." And these, but as the atrocities have come out and gotten worse, the resolve of the Ukrainian people, is, from my perspective, has gotten stronger. So I think that the, that's kind of the that's where Putin's had a you know a miscalculation, and, and he just does not understand that the worse he does, the least people want to, less people want to be uh, in a, in a form of peace with with Russia. So the Ukrainian people aren't going to give up; uh, they'll fight. Um, I, I remember a story actually. Another reason why I kept uh, and continue to help. I met a uh, a father who was about my age, is sort of mid to late forties. Um, we we were talking about kids the same age as me and. Uh, I said to him, I said, how long have you been in the army? Thinking he's a 20-year career army soldier. Yes, I know. I joined on day one. Uh, you know, I, I was a marketing manager before that. I looked to him, I said, you see, you joined with no experience with, you know, you're from Kiev, you went straight out. You, what, how long before you were fighting? He said, oh, you know, next day, they gave me a gun and I was out fighting Russians in Kiev the next day. I said, how do you reconcile being inexperienced, going out to have to fight? So you, you know, you're the most likely to die. You know, um, how do you reconcile that with the fact you've got kids at home? And he said something that still moves me to this day. He said, "The only thing I value more than seeing my children grow up is knowing that my children will grow up free. I remember when he said that, I thought Russia can't win. Russia can never win this. So what happens, I think will depend on uh, the success Ukraine has in driving Russia backwards uh, and destabilizing. know putin and the political elite that are are pushing this war that's really the only avenue we've got out there is success on the battlefield will be destabilizing for russia because russians will turn on putin uh you know when that happens uh and then hopefully more common sense comes into into the kremlin and to to russia and they realize that the the best way forward isn't you know prolonging this stupid war that they thought would only last three days sorry for the long answer but that's 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 the whole process
1: and then I want to put, and then you'll send me a link, and I want to put a link to your fundraising page. We've I've had uh, seventy nine thousand views so far, so hopefully after this interview it'll go up to ninety or hundred thousand views, and you'll send me a link, and hopefully we'll get a lot of more people to donate your cause um, after hear this interview.
0: Yeah, thank you, John. Yeah, I mean, it's great return on investment. You will, you will directly be um, responsible for saving people's lives. And I pay all my costs. So I always, always joke that, you know, only about 30% of what the red, we give to the Red Cross actually makes it, you know, say to, to Ukraine or or wherever it goes. 70% goes in administration. I don't know what the exact number is, but it'd be something like that in reality. Uh, 110% of what I get goes to, uh, goes to Ukraine because I, I invest alongside it. I pay my own costs and all of that. So uh, yeah, look, if, if you want to help and reach out, Please do.